Thanks for checking out the Candeo podcast. To learn more about us, visit us at candeochurch.com. Well, good morning, Candeo family. I don't have any cool like baby pictures to start off with this morning. I got, I got no news on that front, um, but I do have a pretty sweet invitation for you this morning. If you have ever found yourself wanting a spiritual mentor, like some hero in the faith that you could follow around on a daily basis and just watch like how that person experiences God as God reveals himself to them and they respond to him, I'm telling you guys, the book of Psalms is your mentor. And this is your moment, this is your, your chance. When we open up to the book of Psalms, a lot of people will describe the book of Psalms as like an ancient hymnal or a book of prayer. Guys, it's so much more than that. Because when we open up to the book of Psalms, you'll see 150 poems, songs, prayers. They're written by numbers of different authors. David contributed about half of those. Um, they span, the dates of these Psalms go from a breadth of time that goes about a thousand years, covers all of like the Old Testament history and really every imaginable life situation you could run into. And, and then on top of that, uh, every other life experience that you could experience from like good days and bad days or days where God feels close to you or feels far away. The gift that we get when we open up to the book of Psalms is we get to see real people, brothers and sisters in the faith, and watch how God reveals himself to them in whatever season they're going through, and then watch how they respond. And it provides for us a guide, a mentor. And so this is a beautiful book. I would encourage you to still get like a, a physical in-person mentor. Those who are mature in the faith, seek out those who are younger in the faith and, and vice versa for encouragement. But the the book of Psalms, I just don't want you to miss this incredible gift that we're about to open up uh, for the next 15 weeks together. And for the next 15 weeks, we'll be in the book of Psalms. And today we're starting at the really only place that you should ever start the book of Psalms is actually in Psalm 1, because this Psalm is actually put here purposely in this entire collection of 150 different poems. This Psalm is put purposely first to serve as an introduction for the entire collection. Really, and it can serve as an introduction for the entire Bible in itself. So Psalm 1 is a very fitting place for us to start. I want to say this real quick, because I'm hoping you'll catch this, but I, I want to make sure you, you for sure like, like, like get this. I was shocked that as I turned from just a few weeks ago teaching Matthew 7 into Psalm 1, how much overlap there is between Jesus is like the way that he ends the Sermon on the Mount, the greatest sermon ever given, how he ends it, and then what happens here in Psalm 1. Because if you remember a few weeks ago, and then Jake kind of followed it up last week, wrapping up the Sermon on the Mount series, but the way that Jesus ends the greatest sermon ever given is he ends it by giving four warnings, all in the form of a contrast between two things, right? Two gates or roads, uh, two types of prophets, two types of Christians, two kinds of foundations, and today what we get, again, is a contrast of two things. It's a contrast of two people, or I would actually describe it as kind of two ways of life. And so if you're taking notes, I'll give you just kind of my brief outline this morning. Uh, we're first gonna start by looking at this contrast. Then we're gonna move into like unpacking 
the call to action within Psalm 1 that makes all the difference between one or the other path and then end with the blessings that come from receiving and responding to the invitation of Psalm 1. So if you're with me, we're gonna start here in verse one. First with the contrast. It says this, how happy is the one who does not walk in the advice of the wicked or stand in the pathway with sinners or sit in the company of mockers. I'll just pause here. One path for life, like one, one way you can go is that you can walk. And notice here, like, like it's walk in, stand in, sit in. You can walk in the advice of the wicked. You can stand in the pathway of sinners. You can sit in the company of mockers. That's one way of life that you can go. And, and don't miss the warning of these words here. Um, there is a progressive nature to sin. Sin consumes. Like write those words down. Sin consumes. It's what it does. This is like when God says in the opening pages of scriptures to Cain, who was furious at his brother, he warns him. He says, hey, be careful. Sin is crouching at your, do your door and its desire is for you. Same warning here is for us to recognize that this is kind of how sin works. It starts first with you hear the advice of the wicked and you begin kind of following, right? Next thing you know, you're now like fully on the pathway with everybody that's rebelling against God. And then you end up in a place, it's not just like that you're just quietly in opposition to God. You end up in the place where you've actually joined in with others that are hurling insults at God and his people. That's what sin does. It's crouching at your door and its desire is for you. So that's one, one way of life is that. There's another way of life. It's held in contrast with this way of life. It doesn't walk in the advice of the wicked or stand in the pathway of sinners or sit in the company of mockers, but instead, verse two, his delight is in the Lord's instruction and he meditates on it day and night. We'll come back to verse two and camp out here in just a little bit, but watch where this way of life leads, this different way of life. Verse three says, he is like a tree planted beside flowing streams that bears its fruit in its season and its leaf does not wither. Whatever it does prospers. So here's the contrast. You have two ways of life. This way of life rejects God. This way of life delights in God. And what comes out of a life that delights in God, it's defined by a life that is flourishing. Delights in God leads to flourishing. Now watch where the other path leads. Verse four, the wicked are not like this. Instead, they are like chaff that the wind blows away. When you hear the word chaff, think of uh, like harvest season here in Iowa. Think of like the dry husks that come off of corn or wheat or any type of grain that starts kind of floating through the air. Like when he's talking about chaff, he's talking about the stuff that like gathers up at this spot in your eye. You know what I'm talking about? Or like, like you, you pick it out and then you flick it. Like, cause it's, it's dry, it's dead, it's useless. It's good for nothing. It, 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 it is here at one moment, the wind blows and it's gone and there is no memory of it ever anymore. What he's trying to do here is he's trying to say, hey, there's two paths here. 
One that delights in God and the Lord's instruction and one that follows the advice of the wicked, goes down this path and the life that, that follows that. You go down this way, what you're going to end up as is you're going to be a prospering, flourishing tree. And over here, what you've got is chaff. It's useless. It's dead. It's dry. And then he takes it even further because this way of life that rejects God and walks on the pathway with the sinners, sits in the company of mockers and follows the advice of the wicked, has one inevitable destination. Judgment. Therefore, the wicked will not stand up in the judgment, nor sinners in the assembly of the righteous. For the Lord watches over the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked leads to ruin. This contrast is not just some temporary thing. Eventually, God will make the, the contrast between the wicked and the righteous a permanent thing. They'll be permanently separated as he separates the wicked from the righteous forever. <clears throat> this is the contrast he's putting before us. These Two ways of life, these two types of people, these two destinations. And at the center of this contrast is one critical difference, one call to action that makes all the difference here. And it's verse two. Again, I'll go back to it. Instead, his delight is in the Lord's instruction, and he meditates on it day and night. Is this beginning to sound a lot like Matthew 7? Like last week, two foundations? You're getting this, right? It's a ton of overlap here. But Jesus, and now the Psalms, are being abundantly clear that it's either this way or this way, and there's no middle ground. I mean, they're just trying to be abundantly clear. It's two types of people, two ways of life, and only two. And so the question we should be asking ourselves this morning is, which one are we? And which path are we on? Where are we at? So let's, let's look at verse two. Church, the clear call to action in this text is to reject the advice of the wicked and the pathway that follows from that point on and to delight in and meditate on the Lord's instruction, whether that be one command in scripture or be the whole Bible. The call here is that we would have a life where we delight in and meditate on the Lord's instruction. Psalm 1 is trying to confront us with some really important questions like, What do you think about this book? Like, how, how valuable is this to you? Is, is this what fills your mind on a regular basis, or is it something else? Is this what captivates your heart? Is this the orienting center of your life? Is it God's word, or is it something else? Because what he's calling us to is to move from a place where maybe that's not true to a place where this becomes the delight of our life and what we meditate on. That change can begin for you today. Let me just throw a practical tool your way. This is something that I, I think somebody shared with me over a decade ago that has stuck with me, but it's just one way that I try to continue to cultivate just a lifestyle of just delighting in and meditating on God's word constantly. So it's, it's called, like, if you know, like, navigator stuff, like, this is like the navigator's, like, hand illustration or grip illustration. Uh, they, they use both titles for it. Um, 
But there's like five things that are foundational to just like having a lifestyle where you're just taking in God's word and regularly sitting in it, okay? So with me, so, so if you're taking notes, make sure you get the, the five fingers out. We'll start filling them in. First thing though, is just taking in God's word is you wanna have a habit where you're hearing the word of God taught. You're listening to the scriptures be taught. That, that gives you a, a pinky, right? So you're here this morning, that's great. Uh, if you're ever not here in some place else at any other point, find churches that actually teach the Bible and even use podcasts, things like that as you're traveling, different things just to keep hearing the word of God taught. So I try to hear obviously a message here every week and then listen to somebody else every week as well just to keep hearing the word of God. But you have, you have that. If that's all you have in your life, like as you're trying to get a grip on your Bible, all you got is this little pinky thing. Like you can kind of, kind of get some grip of God's word, but not that strong, right? So the second thing that we can do to get a real good grip on the Bible is we can add the other finger to it, which is then read it for ourselves. There's like Bible reading plans back in the resource center. You can pick one up today and just read the scriptures and, and create a habit where each day you're kind of reading for length. So maybe a chapter a day or a chapter or two a day, right? But even there, like this is about the grip that you're gonna get on your Bible. Third thing that I would encourage you to add into your life beyond just hearing the Bible be taught on a weekly basis and reading it for yourself on a daily basis, I would say, Add this third finger to it, adds a little bit more strength, and learn how to study your Bible. I actually to create space throughout the week where maybe like one day a week, one afternoon, one morning, instead of reading for length, you take like a paragraph, maybe even just a verse, and you spend some time just thinking about that one verse for 20 minutes, 30 minutes, highlighting key words, even grabbing some Bible study tools, like a study Bible, whatever, just understand like what is going on here. I wanna go deeper than just a casual read, right? And if you do that, you're gonna get a little bit better grip. So if you came up to me, James, you could, you could still pull it out of my hand, but I'd fight you a little bit more than, well, just the pinky, right? Fourth finger then is when you add in a level of just Bible memorization. One thing I do is I just have this little like, like note card, like flip thing next to my bed that each week I just write in another verse that as I was reading that week, it just kind of caught my attention. I'm like, that's the verse I want to remember. So I'll write it out in that little note card thing and each week I'll add a new one. Guys, I don't sit there and just like stare at it and go, I'm going to memorize this. Like that's not the way I do it. Every day I just kind of reread it. So first thing I do when I wake up in the morning, I'll just reread the passages I've written in there. And I'm like, I think if I reread this enough times, eventually I'll have a memorized. Like that's just kind of going that route. What that does is it allows me to get like this type of grip. But the goal isn't just like all of those things. What brings it all together, what, what adds the thumb into it is this word that we see in this text that we would meditate on God's word, right? That, that scriptures would be always on our mind. What I'm trying to do when I'm listening to the word of God be taught, I'm reading it, I'm studying it, I'm memorizing it. I'm bringing in this thumb where it's just always on my mind. I'm always thinking about it. See, we hear the word meditation. We often think about like, like Eastern religions and that form of meditation, which is all about like quieting the soul and emptying our mind and emptying ourselves of, and trying to get to the state of nothingness. That's different than what Christian meditation is. Eastern meditation is about emptying yourself and getting to nothing. And that's where you find peace. It doesn't work. The Christian meditation is about filling yourself with God's truth 
continually letting it just roll back and forth in your mind and in and out of your heart. This, this, this concept of even like, 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 it's so much on your mind, it's so much in your heart that you're almost like murmuring it all the time. It's, it's like under your breath, like a muttering. That's like what this word meditation means. That it's just so saturating who you are that it's always with you all the time. You're full of it. A world full of a lot of terrible advice and a lot of lies, we need to be saturated by God's truth, meditating on it day and night. One of the sad things, I mean, many of you could probably say this is me. I mean, there's so many people that will call themselves Christians and yet never open this book. Or maybe you open it on a Sunday morning, but outside of that, you never open it for yourself. And then those who do open up God's word, I would describe you as crunchers, okay? And here's what I mean. I'm borrowing this from a friend of mine who's a pastor down in Cedar Rapids. He shared this illustration. I'm like, I totally resonate with that. Here's what I mean when I say some of you are crunchers when it comes to the Bible. Um, I've got four kids. Anybody who's got kids, you've been through this stage. But um, we went through those stages. They're still growing up. It happens every once in a while. But like when you give them a piece of hard candy, now, you who are parents, you're like, yeah, I know what you're talking about when you're talking about crunchers. But I'll give my kids like a piece of hard candy, maybe like a, like a Tootsie Pop, right? I'll give this to one of my children, and I will turn my back for like a millisecond, and you just hear. <laughs> you know, you remember the old commercial, right, with the owl that was like, how many licks does it take to get to the Tootsie Pop Center? Like that whole thing. Like my kids, it's like none. It's always been none. Like, it didn't take even a lick. Like, just none. And what's the worst part about it, other than the fact that it sounds like nails on a chalkboard to me, I mean, that crunching sound, is I'm always convinced I just broke a tooth. And on top of it, you're like, you're totally missing the point. <laughs> like, the joy of that hard candy like, like, is, is to savor it, to enjoy it. You're, you're missing it. And so many of us, when we approach the Bible, we're just crunchers. It's like, let's just get this over with. Like, this is the 20 minutes I'm going to give to this today, and then we're going to move on to the next thing. Guys, the scriptures are never meant to be ingested that way, that you just like quick grab it, crunch on it, move on, got my little like tweet bite that I'm going to send out or whatever they call those things. I don't know, social media. It's about savoring. It's about getting every possible drop of goodness out of God's word. Instead, his delight, his delight, and, and here delight, it's, it's not even just like that I love being a student of the Bible. I delight in God's instruction. I don't like want to know it, I want to follow it. Said his delight is in the Lord's instruction and he meditates on it day and night. And then I, I want to hit this. This is probably the most important thing I could say about meditating on the Lord's instruction is that the end goal here, people, is not that you can win a Bible trivia contest, okay? Like the end goal of reading your Bible is not knowledge, it's Christ. There's this really beautiful moment. If you want to read this, go to Luke 24. There's this really beautiful moment recorded in Luke 24 where Jesus, after he's dead, buried, and then raised again, he appears to a couple of his disciples and walks with them on this road to Emmaus. And for a while, they don't know that it's Jesus. They couldn't figure it out. I'm not sure what was going on there. 
but he's walking with them and he's unpacking God's word for them. And this is what it says in Luke 24. It says, then beginning with Moses and all the prophets. I mean, he's going back to page one of our Bibles. Then beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he, Jesus, interpreted for them the things concerning himself in all the scriptures. He's just walking through Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. He's going through all of it, and he's helping them see, I have been on every page, every page. And he goes on to say just a, a handful of verses later, that these are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you, that everything written about me in the law of Moses, the prophet, and the Psalms must be fulfilled. Everything in this book, every page in here is screaming at you to see and savor Jesus. It's not about Bible knowledge, people. It's about seeing Christ. Because the longing of your heart, it, the, these longings that sit in there that are constantly screaming out for purpose and meaning and joy, all of those things, what Scripture is doing is it, it, they are laboring Scriptures labor to try to captivate you with what is infinitely valuable, infinitely satisfying, infinitely beautiful, the only source of joy in the person of Jesus Christ. The Scriptures are laboring to captivate you with Christ. And so when we open up God's Word, each page is pushing us, pointing us to the beauty of Christ. So we see the contrast of these two ways of life. We see the call to action that makes all the difference, delighting and meditating on God's word. I want to talk about the blessings that come from a life that delights in and meditates on God's word. These are beautiful. I mean, if these things don't captivate you and give you some motivation to open up your Bible this afternoon, something's broken, <laughs> okay? Here's the first one. It's right away in verse one, and I, I want you to circle this word. Happy. Happy. One of the blessings that comes from a life that delights in and meditates on God's word is happiness. I think one of the greatest lies of Satan that has captivated our age is this belief that God's desires for your life and our happiness are at odds with each other. They're not. I'll give you some examples of things that are at odds with each other. Okay, here's one. Um, I call, uh, I'll back up here. For me, like the greatest way for me to start a day uh, as far as breakfast is to grab a sidecar iced chai. Y'all know I'm like iced chai fans, right? Like, so you got that now. Um, but if I can mix that in with a chocolate chip scone made by our very own Liz Bear, who attends here, if I can put those two things together, I refer to that as the breakfast of champions. Um, yeah, Wheaties got pushed to the side. That is the breakfast of champions. It's the greatest thing that happens in my life is when I have a day in a week that starts with those two things. But here's something that's at odds with that. My desire for a healthier lifestyle and that are at odds with each other. I have no idea how many calories there are, but I'm sure it's a lot. So those two things are at odds with each other. Here's another example of things that are at odds with each other. It's also from my personal life. I have a hammock underneath my deck. I like to take naps in it. That hammock and yard work, those are two things that are at odds with each other. You know what I'm talking about. Here's another one a little bit less personal. It's about Iowa Hawkeye football. 
and things that are odds with each other. Uh, Iowa Hawkeye football and the ability to throw the ball more than 10 yards downfield. You're laughing because you know it's true and you're all Iowa fans. I don't have to be an Iowa State fan to point it out to you, but like you got those two things, they're at odds with each other, right? Like things that are at odds with each other, you have to give up one to have the other. That's not true here. You don't have to give up your desires for happiness to go after God's word. These two things are working the same direction. In fact, happiness is only found in following the Lord's instruction. If you wanna be happy, if happiness is what you're looking for, then establish a life where you are listening to, reading, studying, memorizing, meditating on the scriptures and letting them point you to Christ. Our mission statement as a church is to help people find their greatest joy in Jesus, which is why, when you're talking about our mission statement being about joy in Jesus, it's why we're so fanatical about this book. <laughs> that every time that we gather as a church on a Sunday morning, we're going to be teaching you from this book. When we get together as a connection group, we're going to be opening this book. And when we gather up in our equipping context, it's to get you to go deeper into this book. Because we're trying to make you a person who daily, day and night, is meditating on the Word of God, taking that into your personal life and regularly just saturating yourself in God's Word. It would be hypocritical. It would be self-sabotaging for us to say that we're all about your joy and then never open up God's word together. There are churches that do that. That will not be us. Second thing, blessing that comes from a life that delights in and meditates on the word of God. Some of you are gonna hate this, but I love it. Prosperity. Prosperity. Some of you are starting to squirm. Like, because whenever you mention like prosperity and Jesus together, there are a lot of bad teachings out there that totally jack this up. So I'm, I hate that. But I can't avoid it because the word prospers is actually in the text here and I want to redeem it, okay? So verse three highlights whatever he does prospers. So let's just go back. I want to redeem this word real quick and let's just ask like a very simple thing. Let's just start here. Guys, what does it mean to be prosperous? See, what often comes to our mind when we think about prosperity is we think about like private jets and houses and vacation homes and like bank accounts that like you can dive into the gold like that duck did off of, what was that show called? DuckTales or something? Yeah, yeah, like that, that, that thing. Like we all wanted that. Like that's prosperity, right? Is it? Is it? So here's the picture that Psalm 1 presents of prosperity. It looks something like this. Right? He's like a tree. And keep that picture up, but look back at your Bibles. And if you've got a pen, circle a few words, phrases here. He's like a tree planted. Circle that. Beside flowing streams. Circle that. That bears its fruit. Circle bears its fruit in its season, and its leaf does not wither. Let's... let's Let's fix a word here. Let's redeem a word here. Prosperity, guys, is not about a limitless bank account. Right? It's not about that. It's about being planted. Right? It's about having yourself anchored to Jesus, who is the rock that is unmovable. 
It's about having stability, confidence, right? And an anxiety-free life because Christ is meeting your every need and is stabilizing all things, right? That, that's, that's what we're talking about here. And prosperity is a life that is planted. One of the things that often gets celebrated when we go through the Psalms, when you study through the Psalms, is, is the emotional range of these books. There's gonna be high moments and bad moments and sad moments and all those things. And people will often look at that and say, see, it's good for us to express our emotions to God. And I go, that's kind of true, but be careful. Because I think we can often be emotion-driven and out of control in our emotions, and we don't see that in the Psalms. We do see authenticity. We do see honesty. We also see people, though, that are anchored to truth. They're planted. That even in the times of greatest discouragement, they're not off the rails. It comes back to a confidence in God who is their comfort, who is their rock, who is their provision. Prosperity isn't about money, it's about being planted. Prosperity is also, it's not about houses and vacation homes. It's about drawing from a constant source of life. I don't know if you've ever asked yourself this question. I hadn't until I read this, this text. But I started asking myself the question, if I was a tree, these are always such fun games because they're not like, it's never gonna happen. Right? But if I was a tree and I could plant myself anywhere in the world, where would I wanna be planted? And then for a while, I'm like, you know, like, like, like I don't know, on a mountainside would be kind of cool. Like, like literally probably pretty cool. But then like the view you'd get would be neat, you know? So like a, a tree there. Or like, you know, maybe I could be in like the Serengeti, you know, and see some like wild animals. It'd be like kind of being on a safari, only like you don't move, they move. You know, I thought that'd be a cool place to be a tree. But then I, I like, I'm like looking at this, this passage and it's like, that's where you want to be, Right? Like if, if you could be planted anywhere in the world where you want to be is you want to be planted next to a constant source of life. I mean, the whole world for that tree that I just showed you could dry up and that will be the last thing standing is that tree. Also true for a person who has planted themselves by faith into Christ. Always a constant source of life. Jesus daily and regularly never running out, renewing my life providing new mercies every day, continually sustaining me, providing for me, caring for me. That's prosperity. That's way better than houses. Prosperity is also not about private jets and the accumulation of things. It's about bearing fruit. It's about being changed for Jesus' glory and bearing fruit that benefits others, right? These are the things that make a person prosperous, right? These are the things. It's being planted. It's being rooted into a continual source of life. It's being uh, a person that bears fruit that benefits others. Those are the things that make a person prosperous. So yeah, I will say this without flinching, that a person who delights in and meditates on will have a prosperous life. I'm comfortable with that. And that's a blessing that comes from this path. Last blessing I'll hit, third one, is God's watchful eye. Verse six says, for the Lord watches over the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked leads to ruin. If I can, I, I want to just take you back a few weeks ago into Matthew 7, and if you weren't there, it's fine, I'll, I'll catch you up real quick. 
But I said before that Jesus ends the greatest sermon ever given, the Sermon on the Mount, by giving four warnings. One of those that I would say was the most terrifying as I studied through it was the scene that he paints of people coming before him on the day of judgment and going, Jesus, didn't we in your name drive out demons and prophesy and do all these things? And him looking back at them and saying, do you guys remember this a few weeks ago? I never knew you away from me. It's terrifying. Recognized right then and there as we looked at that warning from Jesus, that that's the most terrifying thing that could play out in somebody's life. Which then goes to the other side, that the most beautiful thing in life is to be known by God. That the most beautiful confidence that you can have is that you are known by God. When he talks about here in verse 6 about how the Lord watches over the righteous, this isn't just some flippant awareness. Like he's generally aware that I'm out there. What we're talking about here is we're talking about an intimate knowledge. He cares. What we should see here in verse 6, when it talks about watching over, is not like, oh, God's watchful eyes on me. Like, better behave. Like, it's not that. Like, what we're talking about here is the beauty of when God the Father sees me as a spiritual orphan far off and I am the prodigal that finally turns around and comes back embracing Jesus, rejecting my way of life, coming back to him. He runs out, he throws his cloak over me and he says, this one is mine. You bring somebody into my household that's under my care, I will absolutely say, I will watch over you. And there's a confidence that comes into that child. It's the same confidence that we can have when God says, hey, I don't have a special relationship with everybody. Those who want to walk in the advice of the wicked or stand in the pathway of sinners and sit in the company of mockers, they're rebelling against me. I don't have a special relationship with them like I have with you who have rejected all that, taken the path less traveled by, have delighted in and meditated on my instruction pointing to Christ, yeah, what we have is different. You're mine. Three beautiful blessings that come from a life that delights in and meditates on God's word. So as we start this new series, I, I'm praying for a different posture in your life that maybe to this point has never existed. Maybe it's just a small tweak, but a renewed delight in God's word. And I'm gonna pray that over us this morning. Jesus, thank you so much for your word. Thank you so much more for Christ who the Bible points to. And God, thank you for continually captivating us with the beauty of Christ. And thank you that these scriptures labor toward that end. And I pray that as we continue to walk as a church, that you would do something supernatural among us by the working of your spirit that would bring about us just an insatiable hunger to know you, to follow you more faithfully, and to delight in Christ more and more and more each day, to turn off all the things of this world that are distracting, whether it's 
TV show binges or social media or activities and business and all of those things and, and find ways to continually place ourselves back in your life-giving, Christ-exalting word. And I pray that that would begin today in us and in your people. Amen. This has been a message from Candeo Church. To learn more about us or to hear more messages, visit us at candeochurch.com.